Matthew chapter 26, verses 57 to 68. Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. But Peter followed him at a distance, as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Now the chief priests and the whole council sought false testimony against Jesus, that they might put him to death. But they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. At last, two came forward and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus was silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said so. But I tell you, Hereafter you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. Why do we still need witnesses? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, He deserves death. Then they spat in his face and struck him, and some slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, you Christ, who is it that struck you? The high priest of his own people, under oath, demands that he identify himself. Are you the Christ? Tell us. Are you the son of the living God? In other words, are you the king? Who is to come? Are you the long-expected one? Are you the very Son of God? And Jesus was very calmly and very penetratingly, I think, and very exposingly says to him, You have said so. Now, what does that mean? Think about that. What does that mean? You have said so. Does it mean yes? Does it mean no? Does it mean maybe? Does it mean um, guess? You have said so. Turn back with me to a clue. Verse 25 in this chapter. The situation is that Jesus is at the Last Supper with the twelve apostles. And he says to them in verse 20, One of you will betray me. And Judas, in verse 25, says, Is it I, Master? And Jesus says to him, You have said so. Those are the same words used in verse 64. You have said so. Only here we know what it means, don't we? It means, yes, Judas... And you know you are. 
Jesus knows the answer to the question, and the questioner knows the answer to the question. You have said so. You have said so seems to be an indirect way of saying yes, and your words reveal a deep suspicion that it is so. You know, high priest, more than you say. Deep down, many times in our lives, is this not true? We begin to be convinced of a truth, and the truth is so threatening to our way of life that we deny the truth and let our mouths be filled with skeptical questions to conceal that this cannot be the truth and that we do not think it is the truth. And our mouths betray us before penetrating people. I wonder if there's anything like this going on today. I wonder if you can find any illustration of this kind of mentality, this kind of blindness and hypocrisy today. Let me give you an illustration that I read in the paper on Thursday. Blew me away. You may have seen it on television or read about it in the paper, the case of these two teenagers, Shelley Kazine and Justin Bauer. Two teenagers who three years ago made a compact to commit suicide together, boyfriend and girlfriend. They went to their favorite spot in the woods and took a 44 Magnum rifle and she put it in her mouth and couldn't pull the trigger and she said, help me. And he counted one. Two, three, and she still couldn't do it. And then he changed his mind and tried to talk her out of it. And she wouldn't be talked out of it. And as he turned to leave, she shot herself. He turned, and instead of running for help, he covered her with brush and went home. Eighteen years old. The police found her next day. He took them. She was six and a half months pregnant. And on Wednesday of this week, he was acquitted of murder of the girl, charged and convicted of assisting in a suicide for which he will probably be put on probation, and then was charged with, quote, inadvertently murdering the fetus during the commission of a felony for which he can receive 12 years in prison. There is a fetal homicide law in Minnesota that makes it murder to kill a fetus or an embryo after conception. The sentence that leaped out of the page screaming with contemporary insanity is this one. Quote, the law makes it murder to kill an embryo or fetus intentionally, except in the cases of abortion. Close quote. I read it, and I read it, and I read it again. And I went to my journal and sat down. In other words, 
we have some laws in Minnesota that condemn the killing of a fetus as murder. And we have some laws in Minnesota that condone the killing of a fetus as murder. And when you ask, what's the difference in these cases? Is it that in some cases the fetus has done something deserving of death and in other cases it hasn't? And we say, no, of course not. Is it the case that in some cases the fetus is too sick and in other cases it hasn't? That's not the reason we have these contradictory laws. Is it the case that the fetus in some cases is human and in some cases it's not human? That's not the answer to why. There's only one answer to why we have these two contradictory laws. In the one case, the mother has chosen for the fetus to live. And in the other case, she has chosen for the fetus not to live. Period. The reason it is a crime to kill a fetus in one case and not a crime to kill it in the other case is because in the first case, the mother doesn't want it killed. And so it's a crime to kill it. And in the second case, the mother wants it killed. And it's not a crime to kill it. Now, do you see what this says? This says that written into the laws of Minnesota, paved in the legislature here and in the Supreme Court, is the road to anarchy. This is anarchy. There was no king in Israel in those days, and each one did what was right in his own eyes. How do you decide whether it's right to kill a fetus? By anything in the fetus? No, you ask the mother if it's right. How do you decide if one killing is murder and another is justified? Anything in the being to be killed? No, nothing in the being to be killed. Only in the choice of the one who will be strong. How do you decide what is true and what is false? Anything in the nature of the case out here in the object? No, nothing in the object, only in the willer, the chooser. This is anarchy written into our laws. Do what is right in your own eyes. Decide the right and the wrong, the good, the bad, the justified killing and the murder, not on the basis of anything in the nature of the one being attacked, but only in the nature or the will of the one attacking. It's a strange state of affairs. Now, here's the point. Here's the point. Nobody in Minnesota who endorses this way of thinking lives by it. Nobody. No one who makes her choice the criterion of another's humanity or rights will let you make your choice the criterion of her humanity or her rights. Nobody will let you function by that principle. When we are in the position of the strong, we like that our will governs right and wrong. When we are in the position of the weak, we demand that you function by principle on the basis of my dignity, my worth, my humanity, not your choice. Nobody lives this way. If Jesus were to walk into this room this morning and you were to say, I adjure you, in the name of the living God, are these fetuses human? Do they have rights to live? He would say, 
You have sinned. Your laws cry loudly. Your behavior shows what you really believe. The mentality of the high priest is still with us. We know truth better than we think. Deep down we know. And we fear that our lives and our styles and our ways and our choices and our comforts and our pleasures and our plans do not comport with truth and therefore we conceal with questions that penetrating, discerning people can see through to the bottom. Now, How does Jesus respond to this mentality besides exposing it to the high priest with the phrase, you have said so, you have said so. He goes on and he shows that this high priest will one day see the truth inescapably and will no longer be able to conceal it from himself. Jesus says in verse 64, You have said so, but I tell you, hereafter, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. What I see in this verse are four great reversals. Four great reversals that I want you to feel and to see this morning. Yes, now it looks this way, high priest. But things are not what they seem. There is coming a day when there are going to be four great reversals. Oh, that you would get ready My deep desire for you as I go through these four reversals now is that you would recognize that the truth and triumph of Jesus Christ is more important for your future than any financial problems you're having now or any health problems you're having now or any relationship problems you're having now or any job problems you're having now or any problems you're having now. What becomes of Jesus in the future is the most important thing in your life this morning. It has more bearing on what becomes of you than anything you're struggling with right now. So let's listen to what will become of Jesus from His own mouth. Four reversals. Number one, He says to the high priest, In your blindness you say that I am not the Christ. You say that I am not the Son of God. But I say to you, you will see the Son of God. Of man. Now, what does that phrase mean? My guess is if we took a survey here, probably the the rising to the top of the vote would be it means he's human. He's really human, son of man, human like you and me. And that would be a right answer. That's what the phrase implies. But this phrase is loaded, brothers and sisters. This is a loaded name. 
And the reason we know it's loaded here is because the context of coming on the clouds in the next phrase signals he's quoting Daniel 7.13. Let me read it to you and fill up this phrase with its load. Daniel says, I saw in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven. There's the phrase, clouds of heaven. So you know he's alluding to this verse. I saw with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days. That's God the Father. And was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and kingdom. That all the peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And His kingdom, one that shall never be destroyed. That's the Son of Man. What Jesus is saying to the high priest is, you say, I'm not the high priest. I mean, I'm not the the Messiah. I am not the Son of God. All right. You will see the Son of Man. And he will be such that you never dreamed the Messiah himself could have such universal glory. That's the first reversal, high priest. Open your eyes. You have said so. Number two. In your blindness, high priest, you say that I'm on trial here. You say that You are sitting there to judge me and I am standing as the accused and as the defendant. But listen, high priest, there is coming a day when you will see the Son of Man seated. We've all seen movies of old days when there used to be kings in the land, like King Henry the And there's always a big courtroom and there's a throne. And the king, an old man or a young man, is sitting and he always sits in the same posture. One, his right leg is stuck out and his foot is sort of rolled over. You know, you can see it, can't you? And his left leg is sort of back under the the, uh, throne. And he's got an arm like this and his elbow is on the throne and his hands are on his cheek. And he's regal, sit, 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 in charge, on his seat. And before him are the messengers, or if it's a court, the accused stands. Jesus says, you, you sit now, I stand. But believe me, high priest, there is coming a day when the Son of Man will be seated. And you will stand before me. Chapter 25, verse 31. Jesus tells a parable and He says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him then He will sit on His glorious throne and before Him will be gathered all the nations, including the high priest and including you and me, and we will stand and He will sit. 
and we will be the accused and he will be the judge and the question before us will be, what made you of Christ when he testified of his glory? What did you do when he told you this morning, April 8, 1990, that you have said so and you know that He's the Son of Man and would be seated one day. What made you of Him that morning in your heart? That will be the question. There will be no excuse because the tape of this service will be played. The video will be shown. A close-up of your face will be on the video of this service at the last day and you will not be able to have any plea because I am making it plain he will reign and judge you on the basis of whether you believe him this morning and trust him this morning and love him this morning and forsake what is opposed to him this morning there will be a great reversal of the accused and the judge. Number three, Jesus says to the high priest, in your blindness you say, I'm a blasphemer. You say that I'm guilty of treason against God and that I am dishonoring him by my claim, but I say to you, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power. You say God's foot is on my neck. You say He's angry with me and frowning at me and against me. Listen, high priest, there is coming a day when I will sit down in the favored place of the Father. And you will stand before me. I will sit down at the right hand of the Maker of all things. You think His foot is on my neck? He delights in the Son with infinite delight, even as I suffer for His people. Things are not what they seem, High Priest. Repent while there is time. There will be a great reversal. Number four. You say in your blindness, high priest, that I am to be killed. You sentence me to death. You mean to do away with me and make an end of me? Oh, high priest, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and alive and coming on the clouds of glory. Things are not what they seem. I will not only rise, I reign. And I not only reign, 
I am coming. Oh, high priest, you know what I meant when I said destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. You have said so. You know the truth, high priest. Let it rise in your conscience. Hide it not from yourself anymore. I will be your judge before you know. Repent, repent. You have said so. And I just want to say as we close that my heart's desire for you this morning is that you own up to what you know. If Jesus walked into this room now in the flesh and you spoke to him in all earnestness, I adjure you in the name of God, tell me if you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Son of Man, the King of kings and Lord of lords. All Jesus would say is, you have said so. Because I'm persuaded that everyone in this room knows in the depths of your heart that it is so. You know that there is a reckoning coming. You know that no man ever spoke like this man. You know that no man ever loved like this man. You know that the evidences for the resurrection when he appeared to 500 at once, many of whom were still alive when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, is sufficient. You know it is so. And the only reason you are not living for Christ is because the truth is so threatening to your way of life. And you are so deceived by the devil that if you yield to what you know, it will make you miserable and it is a lie. And hundreds of people in this room would stand up and testify right now to say it's a lie from the devil that believing Jesus ruins the life and makes you miserable. It is just the opposite. It opens the way to glory. It cleanses the conscience. It gives a purpose for life. It frees from the bondage of the past. It makes you courageous to live. And I would just plead with any who are trying to be unbelievers this morning, give it up. Give it up. Let's pray. Almighty God, grant, I pray, that as we close this service on a great celebrative note, heralding the coming of the Lord, we would all yield to the truth that cries in the depths of our heart that the Lord has witnessed is there. He's put it there by His Spirit. He's put it there on the radio and in the television and in the books and in the Bible when we've read it. He has testified and it is lodged there like a witness until the last day. Grant, I pray, that we would all simply yield to the glory of the Son of Man. In His name I pray. Amen.